Good morning, FC. How you doing this morning? Wow, somebody needs some more coffee. <laughs> Good morning, FC. My name is Taylor. If you're new here, I'm one of the pastors here at FC. And we're gonna be in 1 John chapter two today. If you wanna go ahead and turn there. We've been in a series going through 1 John called We Can Know. And as we've gone through 1 John, we've seen many things that we can know with confidence. Namely, who is in the darkness or who is in the light. We've seen who has the love of God and who does not. We've seen that our hope and our confidence is in Jesus Christ, the, the, the righteous advocate. And as we go to today's text, as you get there, you're gonna see that kind of the heading there of that, that paragraph is about false teaching. And I just, before we dive into today's text, I, I think it's only appropriate that we honor the fact that our lead pastor, Pastor Trent, has faithfully taught God's word here at FC for the past 12 years and continues to do so. He has not only done this, but he's, he's also equipped those of us other pastors to be faithful teachers of the word. I just wanna honor him for his faithfulness in gospel ministry. So will you join me in honoring him this morning? Every good leader stands on other leaders who have trained and equipped them, and Pastor Trent is one of those for me, so I'm, I'm thankful to be able to share this platform with him and to be one of your pastors. So, as we dive into today's text, who remembers dial-up internet? Yes, believe it or not, I also remember that. I remember the giant boat anchor-like uh, screen in our living room, and the dial-up internet situation, for those of you that don't know, there used to be a time and place when you had to log on to the internet. It didn't just appear and you could Google things. Uh, you had to call basically a server somewhere and your computer would make this sound as if it was going to crash and burn. Right, it's this weird like alien-like sound. And then you were able to Google search or do whatever you wanted to. And this ushering in of the internet honestly has ushered in the information age. We've gone from uh, being able to, you know, go to the library and look up information to literally you have access to all of the things for free online, which is crazy, right? Um, and this information age, our ability to connect to other people and to connect to information is a glorious thing. It, it really is awesome that we're able to access information, be in contact with other people, even this past year, right? In midst of stay-at-home orders and these other things, we've been able to stay in contact with family that were far away. We've been able to continue to, there for a season, we were able to, to join together virtually online. You're still able to do that, obviously. But the connection that that provides is a, is a, is a great thing, and I'm thankful for that. But there's also a downside to the connection of the information age, and that is the fact just as freely as you can consume information from the internet, you can just as freely add information to the internet. And so you have this vast span of information that is uh, not necessarily credible, there's no accountability, and as we consume said information, we're often misguided, misinformed, and we are definitely, those of us that are younger, are too trusting of that information, right? I, I, like any of my peers, the first thing we do when we have a question is, Alexa, what is blah, blah, blah. Somebody at home, just, Alexa just went off, sorry about that. Um, but that, or you, know, you pull out your phone, you Google it, you look for the answer, you YouTube a video, whatever it is, and that's how you learn, right? And there's, you know, we do that so quickly that there's, there's less pressing into, okay, does this person even know what they're talking about? Do they have any credentials? And the concern for us in the church 
is that there is misinformation about Jesus and his teachings. And John, who wrote 1 John, was equally concerned. Now, obviously, the internet did not exist in the New Testament. That's not a thing. But misinformation, false teaching, things that did not align with Jesus and his way were being taught. They were taught to this, these uh, particular churches that John had influence with. And so as we go into today's text, we're going to see John helping us see two things. One, he's addressing that there are false teachers and false teachings. They can be identified. And along with that, we have the hope for how we can discern truth with confidence. So that's what we're gonna see in 1 John chapter two, starting in verse 18. So let's read that together. Children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know the truth, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. So the first thing I want you to see as we grapple with this text, John keeps going back and forth between the false teachers, how they can be identified, and the hope we have in the Holy Spirit. And the first thing I want you to see is that false teachers are everywhere and they can come and go. They will come and go. This was true for John in his context in the early church. They were false teachers, false teachings coming and going all the time. They were everywhere. And the same is true today for you and I. They're all over the place. They're all over the internet. <laughs> they're, they're everywhere. And they come and go. And we see this very carefully laid out uh, in, in, in the text. So let's, let's look at those first two verses very carefully. He says, children, it is the last hour. And then he says again, therefore, we know that it is, it is the last hour. And what he's talking about when he says the last hour, imagine for a moment, welcome to the Biblical Survey 101, okay? Jesus, in the very beginning, created all things. God created all things, right? Created all things, created man and woman, created man and woman to know him to be in relationship with him. Men and women decided to disobey God, to, to deviate from God's plan. And when they deviated from God's plan, they broke relationship with God. They were no longer able to know God because they were imperfect. They were at odds with God. God knows best. And so God keeps making promises to his people, ways to, to continue to keep them <laughs> to himself, to keep them in relationship. And God always holds up his end of the deal and we never do. Then Jesus comes on the scene, God in human flesh. 
and he lives a perfect, sinless life in our place as our substitute. And then he dies the death that you and I deserved to die. And then, like no one else before, he predicted and, and reminded us that he was going to die and come back to life, and he did so. He was killed, and he came back to life. And he still is alive today. And he came and he taught for, for 40 days with his people, and he gave them one final command to go and make disciples. And he promised us that he'd come back, and he will. He's coming back to take all of his people and to uh, be with us in heaven all together one day. And what John is talking about, now that you've just been to school for a few seconds, what John is talking about is that time after Jesus went back to heaven till he comes back is the last hour. It's the last chapter of the book. We're in those last times. And what he's saying is that the last hour is in part indicated, not just by Jesus going back to heaven, but the fact that there are false teachers, antichrists, or the antichrist, who's coming to oppose Jesus. So that's the, the next thing we see in verse 19. They went out from us. They were not of us. So this is how we identify these antichrists. And, and let me be clear. Some of you already know that John also wrote Revelation and he spoke of a antichrist. Um, it's unclear that John is talking about that antichrist when he uses the singular here in this verse. We don't know for sure. I've seen scholars on both sides of that argument. But regardless, that, that's, that's not necessary to, to know for sure. What he's saying is that antichrist, people who oppose Jesus and his teachings and his way, exist. And as a matter of fact, he was, when he said the antichrist, he could have even been referring to the specific person who came into these churches and was opposing the teachings and way of Jesus. And the way, that, the way that these churches and the way that we know who those antichrists were is because they didn't stay around. <laughs> they didn't last. And so what John is saying is, as he says, they were not of us, even though they were here, even though they came, even though they taught, even though they claimed to have your best interest in mind, they did not. And they've proven that by the fact that they left and they're no longer a part of the family of faith. And let me be clear, I'm not, I'm not saying by any means that, that just because a person leaves a local church and does not come back does not mean that they're not a part of the family of faith or any of those things. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who have opposed Jesus, who are against him and his way of life, his, his teachings, his person, and they have left the family of faith altogether. And the reason they do that is frankly because the world and all of its darkness is appealing because they are of the darkness, the, the temporal, the, the temporary pleasures of this world are appealing. They're even convenient. They feel right. And these teachers, these antichrists, have not heard the truth of God. They do not believe the truth of God that has been preached to you or to these churches that John is writing to. So, even though we don't know for sure that this antichrist that John is mentioning is the antichrist. Regardless, all of these people, all of these false teachers, ultimately, whether they do it willingly or not, are subservient to the evil one, the master deceiver, the master liar, the enemy of God. And this evil one is smart. Frankly, 
the evil one knows the scriptures better than many of you. And false teaching is not always so blunt and blatant. It's not always Jesus isn't the way, don't follow Jesus. It's not always that clear. It often sounds very close to the truth. And if you are not careful, if you do not seek to understand, if you do not test these teachers, then you too will be quickly deceived. It will, it will feel good. That sounds right for my season of life and my current situation. So sure, I'll take that, please. And when you choose to embrace those things without consulting God's word, first and foremost, you will follow these false teachers. But John says that we can rest assured because we have the spirit of God and these people are proven to be false over time. So that's, that's, that's very important. He says that, that they'll go out from us and that's gonna happen over time. And there, there's a common practice in the old days that none of you practice today, I'm sure, unless many of you are making your own wheat and making your own bread at home. Nobody? Cool, great, 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 sweet. So uh, in the old days, they had, just imagine this whole stage is like a concrete floor, okay? And they would put grain, stalks of grain all over the ground, and uh, a donkey would have a sled on the back of it. It'd be pulling the sled, just going around, and dragging it over the, all, of the, all of the grains, and as it's dragging it over the grains, all of the, the grains of, of wheat inside these stalks of wheat are, are being broken up and pulled out of the shell. And what's crazy to me is you'd think, okay, they do all of the sifting and the grinding and the beating of this wheat, and then they go in and pick out the grains, right? No, they don't. All they do is take a pitchfork and toss it up in the air. And as they do that, the wind carries away what's called the chaff, the, that, that, that light outer piece from the grain. It carries it away. And what you're left with, what falls to the ground to be taken, to be, to be enjoyed, is the substantive grain. This is a process over time. And what John is saying to us is Jesus is sifting out false teachers consistently over time. That what is coming before us and what is falling to the ground to stand the test of time is the truth. And these false teaching, teachings that come and go and these teachers who come and go really will not last. And matter of fact, there is a final time when judgment will come for all false teachers and all those who are not following the way of Jesus. And there will be a depart from me. There will be a I never knew you. There will be a you do not have allegiance to me and therefore you will be removed and you will be judged and you will suffer the consequences. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean for, for what we do? Well, I'm imploring you to judge only what you know and let time run its course. Judge only what you know and let time run its course. So what I think of many of our different reactions to false teachings and false teachers, I'm sure there's many of us who have been guilty of seeing a soundbite, seeing a sound clip, seeing a Twitter post, and immediately judging someone that we do not know. And we think of even, even great, awesome forces for the kingdom of God like Paul, right? This incredibly intellectual, incredibly studied man of God, right? Most trained, and 
We see him calling out false teachers in his day and time. We see him calling out people who were, who were what we call Judaizers, people who were teaching people that you needed to do other things other than simply have faith in Jesus. And he, you wanna know why he called them out? Why he could call them out? Because he was of them. He used to be one of those guys. He knew those people who were teaching those things. He had authority experientially to identify those people and say, these people don't have your best interest in mind. These people don't follow the way of Jesus. These people do not believe that Christ is the son of God. And I think in our arrogance, maybe in pretense or in our lofty thinking, we presume that we know people or, or ways that, that, that they, they live away from Jesus and we presume that we have authority to judge them or to call them out. And all we, all we need to do is let time run its course. Jesus is the judge. Jesus is the one doing the sifting. And certainly, sure, if someone came to Foothills Church next week and, and taught you something that did not align with God's word, yeah, we'd say something about it. Yes, we'd call it out. We have a responsibility to protect you, to keep you safe from falsehood. But we're wasting our breath in the pool, the vast pool of misinformation and false teachings that's out there, you're wasting your breath trying to account for every single one. So, the Spirit of God lives in you. This is the second thing that we see in the text. The Spirit of God lives in you. And I believe this is, this is the, one of the top three most amazing things about following Jesus is that, that the spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you and I. Did you know that? Did you realize that? That, that, that God is in us. He has indwelt us. And so that purity, that truth, that righteousness, that holiness is in us, guiding us and keeping us on course. And what John is saying is that that is our hope, that, that the Holy One in us keeps us and we see it right there in, in, in verse 20, right? But you have been anointed by the Holy One. These other people went away. These other people were false teachers, but you have been anointed by the Holy One. This is the Holy Spirit. This is God himself in us. Verse 20, he keeps on saying, but you have been anointed by the Holy One and you all have knowledge. He says, you know it and no lie is of the truth. And what I love about this is John is making it abundantly clear that not only do you have the person of truth, the author of truth in you, you have the knowledge of truth. I told it to you, he says. You know it to be true. You have the true right gospel. And I love that last, say, last statement, no lie is of the truth. Duh, right? Like what an obvious statement, John. Thank you for your profound insight. But what he's saying is actually, actually does have some significance because in a day and age when you hear things like your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth and all truth is relative and just whatever you believe is good for you and I'll believe what I wanna believe, no, no. Truth is absolute, it's objective, it's rooted in a person, it's rooted in this book and we embrace it here. There is no what works for you works for you and, and you all go our own way and we end up at the same destination. That's not what Jesus taught. He said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. He said, there's one way. And so what John is pointing out 
is, is you already have the true thing. It's pure, it's right, it's good. There's nothing that will contradict this truth. And I think for, for us as we, as we meditate on the person of truth and the truth itself that is in us, we come often to our Bible reading on our own and we, we think of it like a test. Just think back, I don't know how long ago, maybe you're in it right now, but middle school, high school, college, whatever, you've got a big test coming up, you've studied your heart out, you've got all these complex ideas that you've got to communicate, maybe you've got to write an essay at the end of your exam, and you're stressed out, right? <laughs> and you show up to class, and you've, you know, you've drank way too much coffee, your hands are shaking, and you're unsure of what you studied, and, and whether or not you're going to remember it, and you've got to make, you've got to pass this class, you've got to, it's a, it's a requirement, this is the last exam, and you show up, and what do you hear from the teacher? Well, sometimes you would hear, good luck. But in this instance, you hear, it's open book, you have all class to take the test. And in that moment, you realize, okay, I've, I've got all the resources I need to understand this, to, 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 to do well, and to make it A, and to pass the class. And I think what we do when we come to our Bible reading is we have this idea that we've been given a test. And we have to read this book rightly, and if we can't interpret it and we don't understand it, then we're out of the club or we, we, God is waiting for us to fail, that he's waiting for us to take the test of life and get the answers wrong. Or, or as if he's trying to keep something from you, as if he's hiding things from you. What kind of tyrannical, awful, demonic father would keep good things, true things from their children? What kind of game would that be to say that I am the word of life, I am the truth of life, and I want you to partake, but only when I reveal, only, only, only when, you, when you get the things right. And, and, and what's true, what's, what's crazy is those are the things that were being taught in John's age. People were saying things like, like, like there is a secret or a hidden knowledge that you have to attain or earn to be right with God. And that is not the gospel we have preached to you. It is by grace alone, through faith alone, that we receive Christ. So, God is not, is not unfolding for you a test that you have to pass as you read your, your Bible. You can have confidence. You can have confidence because of the Spirit in you. So trust the Spirit over all else. The Spirit of God in you, trust the Spirit over all else. See, some of you, you know, there's, there's two ends of the spectrum, right? There's, there's those of you that, that cower and, 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 and are concerned and, and feel too unintelligent or too, too, too meek to partake in the truth of God's word. It's intimidating and understandably so. I get it. And then there's others of you who have read all the commentaries, who have, you know, maybe even gone to seminary or, or you've taken some Bible classes and you've done all the Bible studies and you know the right answers, right? And you've, you've learned to depend on your intellect your study of all the books, and you have neglected to read this book with the power of the Spirit in mind. You have leaned on your own understanding. 
And while I, I, I have no problem whatsoever with extra biblical resources, commentaries and, and scholarly work and, and faithful teachers pouring into you and helping you understand, right? Absolutely, approve those things. But some of you lean on those things so much that just like we do with the internet, you open your Bible, read something you don't understand and Google it, <laughs> which is not only dangerous because the first 10 results are probably gonna be awful, because you don't know where they came from, you don't know what they are. But not only that, you have, you have, you have abdicated this, this, this responsibility and this role to lean into the person of God, the, the author of truth, to reveal to you what is true. So, the next time you read your Bible, here's what I want you to do. So you can do it with confidence, okay? The first thing you should do is ask God to give you understanding. Ask God to give you understanding. Before you even read the words, ask God that he would help you see the truth and the, the light of these pages and that, you would, that he would help you see him. Not just the next action step, but that, you would help, that he would help you see himself, that he would reveal himself to you in these pages. And he would give you understanding. Because he will. He will. <laughs> why, why would God want you to, to read this book and not grant you understanding of it if he knows that it's this window into all that Jesus is? Why would he not give you understanding? Now, this isn't a hocus pocus, I pray, he grants, done. That's not how this works. We seek to understand. So first we ask, God, please give me understanding. Please help me understand what I'm about to read. Help me remember what I already know about you and what I've already read in your word. And then from there, we do that. We fight for that. We study to that end. We use the mind that God gave us to understand the scriptures. So we pray over the scripture. We, we, we read it over and over again. Rather than being rather than being impatient, right? I think that's one of the reasons that we do what we do is, is we're just impatient. I wanna know, I wanna know what the right answer is. And what you do when you jump to right answers rather than seeking to understand the truth is it doesn't stay with you. It doesn't abide in you. It doesn't change your life. You know things that do not affect you. You're merely a jar of knowledge walking around with seemingly no difference in your life. Uh, meaning that you don't worship Jesus. You know a lot of things about him, but you do not live the way he said to live. You don't live the way that he showed us to live. So seek to understand. And then finally, certainly confirm with faithful people. By all means, consult your small group leader. By all means, consult your pastors. Take a class. Find a, a faithful resource of some kind that has proven itself over time by faithful men and women to be of good resource. But don't start there. Don't start with the faithful things. Seek to understand. And, and the reason I think this is important is when we just go for the knowledge rather than the understanding of truth, what happens is, as we seek to understand, God plants these seeds, he sows these seeds of truth in our hearts that produce fruit of obedience in our life. Do you see that? You see how that works? He, there's things that affect our heart and they change our heart. They change who we are and what we worship. 
And from there comes fruit of the Spirit. From there comes a life that looks like Jesus. So tomorrow, this is what you need to do. Okay, third thing we see in this text. The bottom line of all false teaching is the minimizing of Jesus Christ in any way. In any way. Now, John makes it really clear. He says in verse two, no one who denies the son has the father. So really obviously, anyone who says that Jesus isn't God or that he isn't from the father, if anyone who denies Jesus in any way is obviously a false teacher, is obviously opposed to Christ. But the implications of any teaching that minimizes the godness of Jesus is false. His glory, his authority, his power, in any way, anything that elevates another person over Jesus, anything that that is elevated above Jesus to be enthroned as an authority of your life more so than Jesus is false. No one and nothing has greater authority in Taylor Knight's life more than Jesus. Of all the people who love me and care for me, no one has greater authority to speak truth into my life than the author of this book. And the, shame, the same should be true for all those who walk with Jesus. And then he says, adversely, whoever confesses the son has the father also. So, so he's saying all, those who do confess Jesus as Lord have him, that they are true, they are of the family of faith. So there are these false teachers, these false gospels, right? And I'm sure for, uh, for many of you, it's kind of like, kind of like this. Imagine I had millions of dollars in my bank account, which I don't, which I did, okay? But imagine you found out that the reason I had millions of dollars in my bank account was because I was printing $100 bills at my house every week, just loads of them. What would you say? Some of you would be like, bro, can you hook a brother up? Get it? Totally get that. But, but many of you would also be like, that's unfair, right? Because I'm printing money that, that's not authentic, right? It's a counterfeit bill. But apparently it looks good enough that I can deposit it in the bank. It's, it's, it's almost the same. And not only is it unfair in that regard, but it's, it's unfair in regards to I got my wealth in an unjust way. Many of you who have, who have invested over time and you've, you've invested in these, these things that have grown, right? Over time, you've done the work and the, had the patience to see wealth grow righteously. And you would look at me and say, that's not fair, that's not cool, unless you're gonna cut me in. And, um, <laughs> but, but, but also, there's also this, this fact that even, even if you didn't know, you know, as I'm printing this money, I am causing inflation to, to be, of even, and I'm not trying to give you a lesson on economics, I'm just trying to say that, that I'm lowering the value of true dollar bills, true hundred dollar bills, right? That is exactly what counterfeit gospels, counterfeit teaching, false teaching does to true teaching. It lessens the glory and the weight of what is true. And I think what I want you to be careful of is not just to be watchful for those that you believe are guilty of producing counterfeit bills, false teaching, is don't be so, so self-righteous that you aren't just as guilty of perpetuating false teaching or embracing false teaching. And, and here's why. There are, there, are, there are examples in our life where we have, uh, we've embraced different things, different teachings, right? And we've, we've 
perpetuated them by what we give lip service to, what we talk about, what we post on the internet. And not only that, remember the deception that has led these false teachers down the road that they've gone on is the same kind of deception that you were prone to. You know that, right? You were, you were deceived. I was deceived. It is only by the grace and love of God that I see clearly. I did nothing. I earned nothing. I, I read this book before and I didn't understand it. But because he created in me a new heart, I see and know rightly. And, and I, I have no reason. I have no reason whatsoever why God saved me. Not a single one. I still question it to this day. Why me, God? Why would you save me? Why would you, why would you make me see and not someone else? Why would, why would I not be a false teacher? And the only answer, the only answer for any of us is his grace alone. So before you go around pointing fingers, just remember, you have been deceived before. And you might be deceived for a moment later, but it's only by God's grace and truth that you are being saved from these counterfeit gospels. So the proper response to these counterfeit things is to be a champion of the truth, to be a champion of the truth. Because I know when some of you hear me say these things about false teachers and, and, and the, the damage that they cause and the diminishing of the truth that they bring, your reaction to that is, let's grab our, 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 our forks and pitchforks and, and, and let's go eradicate the world of all false teaching, right? No, 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 no. If that was the way, if God's design was that we spin our wheels condemning every false teacher, making lists, then he would have said to do so. But in fact, he said, <laughs> he said in Matthew 28, go therefore, because all authority has been given to me, and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That's what he said to do. And so rather than feeling this, this, this need to eradicate the world of all false teaching and to point fingers everywhere, I don't bring to you a list of people not to listen or follow. I bring to you the truth. And so should you. So many of you have wasted your time being distracted by false things and trying to talk about false things. And you need to get off social media and you need to get in somebody's living room and you need to speak the gospel to someone. You need to make disciples. You need to train them up in the way they should go. Be a champion of the truth. Don't give breath to false things. The fourth thing that we see in this text, don't forget the true gospel that changed your life. This is what John keeps going back to, the, the hope of the spirit and the, the deposit of truth that we already received. And we see this in verse 24. He says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. He says that phrase so many times. He says, from the beginning, abide in you. And if the message of the truth abides in you, then you will abide in the son. You will remain with the family of faith. And the beautiful reality is that as we remain in Christ, it leads to eternal life. I, what I see John beckoning this church to do 
is to remember when I preached the gospel to you, the true gospel the first time. Remember how you embraced it and it changed your life. Do not ever forget that. And what I say to you as one of your pastors, do not forget. Remember the day. Remember the shift in your moment that you came to Christ. The moment that you received the gospel, the moment that you believed in the cross. And I'll, I'll never forget mine. Uh, I don't know if, you, if any of you know what Awanas is. It's basically Boy Scouts with scripture. It's great. It's really good. And I was in Awanas, and I'll never forget, uh, it was a Wednesday night. We did all of the things where we recite the scripture and got some badges and blah, blah, blah. And Don Sinnott gets up, and he tells us the gospel. And I have heard the gospel a, a thousand times before. I was in Awanas, for goodness sake. I'd heard the gospel. Was it, I grew up in a Christian home. I, I knew the teachings of Jesus. But, but something about that night is, as Don was, was describing our need for Jesus and that the only way to know God and to be in right relationship with him was to believe in Jesus, his life in my place, his death in my place, and his resurrection, which proved his identity and his power. And something about that clicked for me that night. And I think I remember I, I even raised my hand and probably said a prayer, but, but, but honestly, I was still pondering what that meant. And I'll never forget I, going home the next day, asking my mom, so what does it mean to be saved? What is that all about? And my mom gave me this beautiful illustration of, of uh, a caterpillar that is then transformed into a butterfly. And, and it's this, this reality that, that we too are all dead and lame like caterpillars. <laughs> and at one point in time, God intervenes. And when he does and we believe in Jesus, we become a new thing. We become a new creation. We become truly alive. And still, I'm pondering and letting that sit with me. And then that Sunday, I'll never forget, tapping my mom on the shoulder. Mom, I'm ready. Sign me up. And something about the naivety and the, the, the simpleness of that moment in my life will always impress upon me the beauty and the grace of the true gospel. I didn't have a degree, I didn't have systematic theology under my belt, I didn't have these lofty words, I didn't have an understanding of, of all of scripture, I did not have that. I heard this simple truth that God allowed me to believe, allowed me to see for the first time. And maybe for you that hasn't happened yet, you don't remember a time where you definitively said, not just I believe in Jesus or who he is, not just that he's a good guy or a moral teacher or a great prophet, but he is the son of God and I need him for life. And therefore, I put my stick in the ground, I give my life to him and he says what goes. He says what goes in my marriage. He says what goes in how I parent my kids. He says where my money goes. He says how I live my life. Some of you haven't done that yet. Let today be the day. There, there is no greater day than, than now. And what I, what I love is there's people in our care and prayer room right now who are praying for you, who have been thinking of you and are preparing to talk to you today. Please, after this service, go and talk to someone. Let them walk you through these next steps. Let them help you understand this true gospel. It has changed my life and those I love and I want it to change yours as well. So remember the day of your salvation. Remember that day. And keep coming back to that day. That's why, that's why baptism is a part of those first steps. Is that baptism does not save us. It is not anything spiritually happening, really. 
It's a ceremony of sorts. It's a, it's a symbol of sorts that marks the moment that we came from death to life. That we're saying, I am no longer who I used to be. So remember that day and keep coming back to that day and to that true gospel. Anytime you hear any hint of anything contrary to what you've already been taught. The next thing we see in this text is that the true teacher is with you and this is your peace. So not only is the Holy Spirit in us, the, the, the author of truth, not only is he in us and with us, but this is our peace, this is our hope. And I, it's, it, it's so clear how much stock John puts in this truth. I love it. He, he starts in, in uh, verse six, he says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. So remember, I'm letting you know there are false people, false teachers, false teachings. I want you to be aware of those, be careful. But what he says next is not put your confidence in me as the, as the one who taught you. Don't put your confidence in, in anyone else. He says, the anointing that you received from him abides in you. He says, it's his anointing, the anointing of the teacher in you that remains with you that is his confidence. And, and don't get me wrong, there is a need and a role for pastors and mentors and teachers in your life. You need those things. They are conduits of, of grace and truth to you. And, 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 and I, the reason I know John isn't diminishing the roles of those people is, is if he was, he'd be, he'd be, dis he'd be diminishing, I can't say that word. He'd be diminishing his own authority, his own teaching. So that would be stupid. He's not doing that. He's saying, my hope is in God alone in you. And that's my hope for you. It's not, not a record of faithfulness from me or anyone else, but the record of faithfulness that God has to continue to keep his people. He promised it to us. He said that, he, that the Father has given some in his hands and that no one and nothing will pluck them from his hand. That's his power, not your intellect, not your helicopter parenting other people, not your trying to make sure we don't hear any bad things. That's God doing his good work of keeping his people safe. He is the ultimate shepherd. He is the ultimate pastor. And he does his job well. So you can rest assured that God is in you both to will and to work for your good and his glory. I've said it before, I'll say it again. As, as, as he is abiding in you and you in him, he is sowing seeds of truth that bear fruit of obedience, regardless of circumstance. He's continuing to do this in your life. The last thing, test and approve everything against the Bible. Everything against the Bible. That's why if, if, you, if, you, if you've been here long enough, you've seen everything that's taught from this stage, everything that's in the classes we teach, every small group, everything we do stands under the authority of this book and the one who authored it. John might have been used to, to write the words, but the Spirit of God is the ultimate author of Scripture. And so as you sift things that you and your family will give your eyes and your ears to, 
the ultimate proof test is does it align with this book? <laughs> does this person align with this book? I think it's really interesting that in Ephesians 6, the very end of Paul's letter to Ephesus, he, he gives us a description of the armor of God, the spiritual armor of God. And he's trying to equip the people at this church to be ready against spiritual forces, dark forces that are seeking to deceive us, seeking to combat God's people. And he, he lists this spiritual armor of God that we have from the spirit of God. And the one offensive weapon that he points to is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And again, I, I love that, that, that weapon is tied once again to the person of truth, the spirit of God, and the knowledge of truth. And with it, we, we do fight people who seek to come in and speak false things. For those that are malicious, we use this weapon. We use this weapon against our own flesh, our own desires that lead away from the true teachings of Jesus. This sword of truth is unfailing. Its victory is sure against all false things. And it's as we use this book that will allow us to walk in truth and to help others do the same. We've been memorizing scripture together. We memorized this month, Psalm 8611. Do you have that locked in yet? We've got one more day to lock it in. So you better rush home today and lock it in if you haven't yet. Psalm 8611 says, teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way that I may walk in your truth. And this is the best part. Unite my heart to fear your name. There's a relationship between walking in truth, those, those seeds of truth that were sown in us that produce fruits of obedience. There's a, that, that walking in truth is connected to your fear of God, not your fear of man. And what I wanna leave you with today is that it's your fear of God, not your fear of other men that will keep you, that will lead you to react rightly to false things, to false teachers. Fear of man says we need to name and denounce every false teacher and every teaching we come in contact with. Fear of man says we need to pursue combative measures against these false teachers. Fear of man leads us to, le to live cowering in passivity or being a spiritual helicopter parent, setting up boundaries and rules beyond God's word. And it has the appearance of righteousness, but it is a legalism that seeps in. It does not lead to a life of truth and worship of Jesus. Fear of God leads us to read our Bibles, to hear from the one that we follow. It's fear of God that leads us to test and approve what is right and good from all teachers, to critically think, to honor and trust faithful teachers. What is celebrated is repeated and continued. It's the fear of God that says that we fear for the men and women who have deceived others or who are deceived themselves. I don't, I'm not fearful of any false teachers. I'm not fearful of any false teaching, but I do fear for their destination. And I hope that your, your heart like God's is saddened by that first and foremost. Certainly angry that people would be led astray, 
but saddened. God does not wish that any should perish. And he's revealed that to us. Finally, fear of God leads us in all truth back to himself. So do not let fear of man lead and guide you today. You don't need to fear any person who teaches false things. You have God himself in you. He's gonna protect you, he's gonna keep you. And here's the last thing I'll say to you. This is, this, is, this is the most practical thing I think I could give you today. So many of you, maybe it's out of fear of man or maybe it's out of pride, I don't know, who knows? And maybe there's even good and pure reasons. But some of you will leave here today and before you get here again next Sunday, you will have listened to 20 other sermons. You will have listened to, to 20 other podcasts and watched a thousand YouTube videos. You're hungry for knowledge and, and that is a good thing. But some of you are hoping that this knowledge will just magically stick on you and change your life and it will not. There is a process to understanding the truth of God that only happens by sitting in it and meditating on it and trying to let it work itself out in our lives. So the last thing that you need to do is consume more information, but you need to let the information you've already been given from faithful people, from faithful teachers, from faithful men to change your life. Again, I'm not being paid to say this, but it's so true. Pastor Trent is a faithful, good teacher. He's so good. Every time we leave here, he's given us such good resource and practical steps to live out these things in our marriages, in our parenting, in our walk with Christ. He's so good at that. And, and, and you, maybe you write it down in your app or in your notes and you never look at it again. You're wasting good wisdom and truth. Some of you need to open back up your notes and think about it and do it. You need to allow the truth of God to change your life rather than chasing knowledge and seeking to puff up your own ego. So, fear of God over fear of man will lead us in truth and in righteousness. Let me pray for you today. Father, thank you for such a clear revelation of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that we see holy your glory and your truth embodied in Jesus. And Father, I thank you for scripture, for black and white, unchanged words over centuries and centuries and centuries of testing by fire and circumstance and culture and time. Lord, we say as your people, as your church, we say we trust you and we submit to you. You know best for us. And I pray that 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 shows itself in who and how we worship this week, that we would honor you with our lives. Father, we pray these things with great expectation because you were such a good father. And out of your fatherhood, out of your love for us, I know you'll protect us. I know you will keep us. And Father, I can pray these things because Jesus has lived and died in our place. It's in his name I pray, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Foothills Church. If you made a decision to follow Christ while listening today, or if you have some more questions about what that looks like, then let us know. You can text FC Decision to 97000 or you can head over to foothillschurch.com slash decision. We hope you have a great week.